Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, is a killer asteroid headed our way? And is the government keeping it from the public? I know some of the people around Donald Trump that are part of his faith community. I've done programs with them. Um, and, uh, and I know that they are in his ear. Uh, and these are prophecy believers. And they are whispering to him about Wormwood. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month. Plus, access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes, or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus, for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday, part two of my two-part conversation with Thomas Horn on Apophis, an asteroid four football fields long, expected to collide with Earth on April 13th, 2029. Before that, well, what could possibly come before that would have any significance? However, uh, how about Coast to Coast AM? This Friday, June the 26th, I'll be filling in for George Norrie, and I hope you can tune in. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information. Also, don't forget to register for my live web conference on Digital Consciousness with Jim Elvidge. That's happening Thursday, July 9th at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. You can go to strangeplanet.ca and in the menu, you'll find web conferences underneath events and appearances. All the details are there and a link where you can register. Or you can go to strangeplanet.ca slash web hyphen conferences strangeplanet.ca slash web hyphen conferences. Longtime television and radio personality, author and publisher Thomas Horn serves as the chief executive officer of Skywatch TV. At the dawn of the internet, Thomas launched two news services where coverage of latest breaking news and information on cutting-edge stories covering religion, discovery, and the supernatural through in-depth investigative reports led to his network of writers being referenced and interviewed by the biggest names in broadcasting, including, of course, Coast to Coast AM. His new book is The Wormwood Prophecy, NASA, Donald Trump, and a Cosmic Cover-Up of End-Time Proportions. Thomas, earlier we were talking about NEOWISE. This is NASA's Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer. It's a space telescope, essentially. Have the folks at NEOWISE talked about this publicly? Yeah, they did. I mean, if you go back 
to 2004, they and the Kitt Peak National Observatory astronomers and others begin studying. By the way, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory at the California Institute of Technology. So all these different agencies were looking at this brand new asteroid that was discovered, and naming it Apophis, by the way, is interesting on a lot of levels that we probably won't even get time to talk about well, You're right, because if it was so innocuous, they would give it a rather banal name, because a lot of them are just numbers. They just number them. But here, they name it after the Egyptian god of chaos, for crying out loud. Yeah, the god of chaos, the god of destruction, but this is also connected to some very important dates. If you get into Christian eschatology, especially dispensationalism, and what some people believe, I got my my buddy, by the way, Steve Quayle, and they do not believe in what dispensationalists would call a pre-tribulation rapture. I've got other friends like Gary Stearman who do, and so when I started looking at the Friday the Thirteenth date for Apophis striking the Earth. What shocked me was that if it is, in fact, biblical wormwood, most Bible expositors believe that the trumpet judgments happen in the middle of what they would call the Great Tribulation, the seven-year period, right? Right. So I took the date and backed it up, and exactly to the day, 3.5 years, so the you know, if it's the middle of the tribulation when Apophis strikes, back up 3.5 years, it strikes the most important Jewish feast days that are connected to what these biblical expositors believe are connected to the rapture of the church, the beginning of the great tribulation. It's just fascinating. But staying with from the scientific side of it, you mentioned Neowise and, you know, what are they saying and what are they doing? I don't want people to think that Mirvold is the only scientist in this book that backs up what I'm saying. There's a whole list of people. For example, mathematician Harry Lear is another well-known scientist. He believes that Apophis is definitely going to strike the Earth in 2029, and he's even written a letter to Donald Trump begging him to have astronomers that work at NASA and inside the government recalculate their mathematics around Apophis, and he sent all of his reasoning to Donald Trump around why April the 13th, 2029, is the date on which this monster rock is going to impact the Earth. Again, NASA recently had, like, Robert Frost, who's one of their leading astronomers, and you might have saw him. He's, like, in some of the British uh, newspapers and tabloids and stuff and being interviewed by them. And he, too, talking about this, saying that there's a 100% chance, 100% chance, that this earth-fracturing rock is going to strike the earth, and saying that the only thing that public is going to be able to do is hunker down and pass out Bibles and learn how to pray. I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned uh, Trump, and, and we had this announcement about the Space Defense Force, this sixth branch of the U.S. military. And, and, you know, there are several reasons one can imagine you would want to start a Space Defense Force. You have space-based weapons, killer satellites, and so forth. You have, some might suggest, a possible alien invasion. But it sounds like you're suggesting the timing of this Space Defense Force has nothing to do with any of those reasons. It has everything to do with Apophis. 
I actually think it may have something to do with both. You know, don't forget that the idea of the Space Force isn't new. This goes all the way back to Ronald Reagan. And especially now that technology has changed, the idea of digital warfare. Colonel McGinnis, once again, who's been on your program evidently, could elaborate on the need for a space defense force. But it was Trump that brought the concept to the forefront of the public mind, the general public. And now uh, I saw a news report on it this week, that literally the billions of dollars that are being set aside to be spent over the next five years to set up the Space Force. The U.S. Space Command is the fifth branch of the U.S. military. But in addition to digital warfare, they are also considering the idea of an asteroid threat, and that according to their own press releases, their own information. So I'm not stretching here trying to make a connection. Right. So current technology does not allow to avert such an impact. We couldn't use nuclear missiles. We couldn't no. use... No. Absolutely not. Here, so, here's, so here's the interesting part about this. I know some of the people around Donald Trump that are part of his faith community. I've done programs with them. Um, and, uh, and I know that they are in his ear. Uh, and these are prophecy believers. And they are whispering to him about Wormwood. Um, and that's not a stretch. Anybody that knows anything about the people around Donald Trump that are part of that faith community know that these are people that are believers in end times prophecy. Um, and uh, so that is a piece of this. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's every part of why the Space Force has been launched, but I'm saying that it is a part of it because asteroid mitigation is a part of what the of what NASA, Neowise, and everybody else are publicly admitting. Now, you know, I mentioned a moment ago that some of their own astronomers are, you know, they're doing media right now, and and one of the NASA's astronomers, you know, uh, was in the British tabloids recently, um, and he and he admitted, he said, there is no way that we could stop this asteroid, the size of it, the scope of it, how fast it's traveling. There is no way that we can target this. We're not going to send Bruce Willis uh, and his you know, team of, of astronauts up into space with nukes and nuke uh, Apophis because it's too large. Um, and so, first of all, you'd probably miss it because it's moving too quickly. But secondly, even if you hit it, um, its, its gravitational field is so strong because of the size and scope of it that if you blew little bits and pieces of it off, it's just going to draw those parts back together. And now what you've done is probably fulfilled uh, Revelation chapter 8 in that you have radiated this giant rock, so it impacts the Earth. It blasts all this radiation now up into the upper atmosphere that moves around because of the air currents in the upper atmosphere and rains down on the Earth radiation. That's what NASA's own <laughs> astronomer was talking about, uh, and and perhaps... And I go into different ways in the book in which uh, wormwood could poison a third of the waters, but radiation is one of them based on our own efforts to try to blow this thing up. Right. Um, are there? Surely there are a whole host of very bright, 
uh, amateur astronomers out there or or even professional astronomers who also know this. Um, it seems to me several years ago uh, there was a um, an astronomer in Australia who who suddenly who died under rather mysterious circumstances. There may even be a death list. You know, there seems to be a death list for everybody. Uh, you know, um, naturopaths and JFK assassination witnesses and Clinton uh, associates. I'm sure. Is there a death list for astronomers too who might know the truth? Well, it seems like there could be, but here's the thing. Um, within, and, and I just now remembered what Sharon Gilbert had said, and she's right. Uh, within, oh, you know, four years, let's say, five years from right now, they won't be able to cover this up anymore. And that is because every home astronomer who can afford a, you know, somewhat commercial um, telescope is going to be able to look up into deep space and see Apophis headed towards Earth. And then, within six years from right now, you'll be able to see it with the naked eye at nighttime as a very bright spot headed towards Earth. Um, And then, by 2028, the Earth is going to be in a panic. And so, all I can tell you is if, if, if people don't want to believe what I'm saying, obviously that's everybody's option. But so far, what I've seen has not been incorrect. In fact, I often wondered, you know, why did God allow me to see the exact date on which Benedict XVI um, was going to resign, and it was accurate? Why did why did that I don't what's that got to do with anything? I mean, is that a piece of a puzzle? It it confuses me. But it wasn't until the other day that uh, George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM said something that resonated with me. He said he allowed you to see that because the whole world saw that. Everybody on earth knows that you did that prediction and you were right, and he did that to allow this wormwood to be legitimized in their mind, that if he was correct on something so abstract as the resignation of Pope Benedict, something that had not happened in 500-plus years and got it to the month and year, um, then maybe we ought to stop and, and listen to what he's saying about Apophis. Tell me about the simulation that scientists and strategists ran in Maryland back in May of this year. Hang on, remind me what we're talking about now. Uh, 2019, they ran sort of a simulation which assumed a major asteroid impact in, was it College Park, Maryland? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so you had all these um, strategists from all over the globe that took part. It was College Park, you're right. Um, the purpose of it was to just basically try to create a scenario in which we discover that an asteroid is racing towards the Earth, and now what are we going to do about it? So you get all these, you know, skilled individuals that start talking hypothetically about what they're going to do, and they know that this asteroid is going to impact the Earth in a 10-year period. Uh, and so it was a whole five-day simulation, uh, and it included uh, all of the scenarios, you know, day one, day two, day three, day four, uh, day one, we discover the asteroid. Day two, it's, you know, we know that it's coming. There's no way we're going to stop it. So on and so forth. Day four, we tried, we failed. 
It's headed to the East Coast, day five. We did all we could, and it wasn't enough. Uh, and throughout that five-day exercise, the participants were faced with all of these foreseeable angles of the asteroid collision scenario. And at the end of the day, nothing we could do about it, and it wiped out a large part of planet Earth. And now, but again, what I would, the, the question I would raise is why was that game played out? And I think it's soft disclosure. And I think you're going to see more and more leading up to about four to five years from right now. And finally, you know, home astronomers are going to be able to do their own calculations, and more and more questions are going to rise, and they won't be able to hide it forever. And that's the scenario in the beginning of my book and at the end of the book where I do the fictional narrative uh, based on what I think is actually happening behind the scenes right now. Billy Meyer, a famous UFO contactee, um, he claimed, I think, 1981, that he had been told by his alien contact, a council of ETs or whatever you want to call them, he was told about an asteroid hitting the Earth in 2029. Uh, now, Billy Meyer and his alien contacts, that doesn't exactly line up with sort of, you know, uh, a biblically approved list of sources, but what do you, what do you think Billy Meyer's on to? Um, well, so, uh, yeah, I will say a couple of things. Um, it was in the early 80s. Billy uh, Meyer did talk about a prediction. He said it was given to him by an alien by the name of Quetzal, which I can only assume is named after Quetzalcoatl, the uh, serpent god of Aztec and Mayan fame. Uh, but he did. Uh, many years ago, he talked about a red meteor that he said was going to collide with the Earth in 2029. So same year. Uh, and he said it was going to, you know, make contact somewhere along the tectonic plate of the north, uh, from the North Sea to the Black Sea. Um, so I've got Christian friends um, that would cast aspersions on his claims because he was coming from a different worldview. So he's right. talking about extraterrestrials and ETs and all that kind of thing. And other people that have said that some of his claims were uh, retrodictions, meaning that he made them up after the fact, or that some of them are being made up today by other people that are taking his predictions and they're saying that he said this, he said that um, <clears throat> after the fact. But the point is, um, he did seem 25 years before the discovery of Apophis to be talking about what he called a red meteor that would strike the Earth in 2029. And some of his predictions are pretty eerie, actually. Uh, now, if there are people that are listening to this program and they're Christians like I am, and maybe they would say, well, what in the world? Why would you give any credence to an individual like Billy Mayer, a Meyer, whatever you say his name? Um <clears throat> I would just remind people that we do know, uh, even from the Bible, that there are uh, non-Christians that sometimes accurately predict the future. Uh, for example, Nebuchadnezzar 
illustrates how in times past God sometimes actually used non-believers, non-covenant, non-Hebrew, whatever you want to call them, to utter these divine insights. There's an amazing case in point uh, in which uh, God chose to reveal uh, a prophecy spanning from 605 B.C. through the second coming of Christ to this arrogant, narcissistic, idol-worshipping Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it required God's prophet Daniel to interpret the dream, but um, but he still gave it to this individual that you know, it's probably not going to be uh, ordained, <laughs> you know, by the assemblies of right. God. Right. So if, Neb- um, if, if, uh, if, he did, if he gave information to Nebuchadnezzar, why not Billy Meyer? If this really is end times we're talking about, Friday, April the 13th, 2029, and there's nothing we can do about it, why tell us? Well, for the same reason that the Bible might, um, and that is to warn people of what is coming in the future and to cause them to evaluate who they are, where they are, what their relationship with God is, what their relationship with the Creator is. Um, and again, you know, you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees of his day, he said, which of the prophets have not your fathers murdered? <laughs> right? Um, people don't they don't want to hear this stuff, and frankly, I don't actually want to talk about it. Uh, I'm, I'm actually a reluctant individual here. Um, when I woke up out of this dream, I was terrified to the bone. And the last thing on earth I wanted to do is what I'm doing right now, where I am saying to people, this is coming. And there is nothing that NASA can do to stop it. They know there is nothing they can do to stop it. And right now, you know, people can just listen to me uh, talk about it, and they can say, well, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe not, whatever. But in five to six years from now, things are going to change. And in six to seven years from now, the world is going to be on its face, crying out to their different gods, begging those gods to deliver them from what is coming. Now, as a uh, as a as a a positive individual, I would want to believe that um, if enough people were crying out to God, it could be averted. And we've seen that in Scripture too. There are examples in Scripture. Uh, you know, uh, Jonah. Um, the 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 judgment against Nineveh was absolutely certain. But he said, if you pray, if you repent, sackcloth and ashes, the whole thing, then perhaps this will be averted. And it was. Um, you know, you know, the king has a guy's life being extended. There's examples in the Bible uh, that if people do the right thing and they cry out to God, that perhaps these judgments can be averted. What As a, as a prophecy believer... Revelation 8 is going to happen. But is it going to happen in 2029? Might it happen sometime uh, after that? Um, and so, I, again, I, I just feel like that I am what? I'm the, I'm the agent. Uh, I'm the person that was given the responsibility to talk about it. And right now I'm willing 
to bear, um, you know, the repercussions of people mocking me. Um, and uh, But again, if you read the book, The Wormwood Prophecy, it's not just Tom Horn. It's not just a charismatic guy with a vision. Um, this is also being discussed by some of the greatest minds on Earth today who also are alleging that NASA and other space agencies are involved in a cover-up uh, revolving around Apophis and the threat that it does pose. But, yeah, here's a funny thing. NASA says that even if it misses Earth in 2029, their own website says it's going to come so close that it's going to knock out the satellites that are in orbit around our planet. So that is so stupid close that there is no way that you can actually say that it's not going to impact. Right, it would cause. You're already a, admitting that it's going to come that close. Even, yeah, even if it was a near miss, it would cause just the the gravitational force. It would cause tremendous seismic activity. Maybe an EMP event. I don't know about that, but it would you know it would be lights out all over the world. You know, either way you cut it. I hope you're right. I really, honestly do, and I actually go into a lot of this stuff in the book. Uh, about, you know, mitigation efforts. I, I'm, by the way, I think that there are some technologies right now um, that are not, they're either not being talked about uh, or they're not perfected to the point that they can be talked about, but using lasers and other kinds of technologies to push uh, things uh, away from the earth. Uh, but as a but as a Christian and a Bible believer, I know that Revelation 8 is going to happen at some point. Uh, a large rock, an asteroid, as it says in the Greek, uh, is going to impact the earth. So that's that's where I'm coming from. That's my worldview. Um, I hope that it does not happen in 2029. I just believe that it's going to. If this is going to happen, and and obviously. Uh, there are certain individuals in positions of power that know, that would be in the know. One would expect that they would be making efforts sort of in the interest of continuity of governance. Uh, you know, so we would, we would see, well, <laughs> we'd see a lot of tunneling. We would see uh, government agencies being moved out of Washington, D.C., being relocated, uh, these sorts of things. Are you getting any whiff of that going on? Yeah, I talk about it in the first chapter of the book, and and don't forget that uh, you know uh, Project Noah's Ark. There have been uh, government-funded projects uh, over the last twenty years in which um, there are very large underground facilities where there's twenty years of food and stuff like that that's been set aside for the elite, um, and uh, and again, you know. The the um, uh, the narrative that I propose in the opening of the book that's a little bit similar to the movie Deep Impact, um, where they're going to call whatever they're going to select individuals based on what they could contribute to the betterment and sustainability of humankind uh, to be taken into these underground facilities to be protected. So the the plans have been in place for a while during the Jimmy Carter's era. Um, I would I would suggest people go and 
uh, and Google Jimmy Carter's area, the Project Noah's Ark. This is exactly what this was being designed for. So that's been in place uh, for some time. More of my conversation with Thomas Horn when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. I'd like to tell you about a health supplement everyone should take. Eighth Element from GetTheTea.com. Eighth Element is a combination of cordyceps specifically formulated to provide optimum health, endurance, and maximum performance for today's active lifestyle. Eighth Element from GetTheTea.com is a proprietary energy enhancement blend made from all natural ingredients and made specifically to increase actual energy and athletic performance. This combination has been found to stimulate the immune system and increase physical stamina and endurance. Eighth Element from GetTheTea.com is the ultimate cordyceps combination, the only one of its kind. Five strains of cordyceps are brought together from five different ecosystems to provide a superior performance edge, unlike any other performance product in the world. Build your stamina and increase your energy with 8th Element from GetTheTea.com. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Thomas Horn is here discussing Apophis, a planet-killing asteroid hurtling through space and expected to slam into our little blue marble in less than nine years. The government... NASA, they all know about it and they're keeping it from us so as not to create unimaginable panic. Would President Trump be talking about this with other world leaders? Would it come up at Davos? Would it come up at a G20, at a G8 meeting? Or are they not in the know? Uh, Well, let's just say that many of the people in the G7, the G8, um, for that matter, you know the, the 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 individuals that gather. Uh, uh, what is it called? The um, the forest. You know, there in in the redwoods. Oh uh, yeah, um, exactly. What what is that? I'm drawing a blank, but it don't matter. But yeah, so uh, people around the world, you know, leaders of countries, they're all involved right now in this conversation. It has been suggested by uh, people like Richard Dolan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Richard Dolan. He's a noted ufologist, UFO disclosure advocate, but he's a pretty good researcher and a pretty good historian. And he talks about the elites. He talks about a breakaway civilization that they possess certain technology um, that is it almost well it, because they are so far ahead of where we are in terms of the technology they possess, they, they could be classified as a separate civilization. And he believes it's, that they may, in fact, already sort of be off-world. They may have that technology. They may have deep space platforms. I mean, that kind of makes sense, you know, if they're off-planet, why politicians or why the elites really just don't seem to give a damn of what, what's going on here on the planet. If they, are, if they are anticipating, if they know about Wormwood, uh, and they're already off-planet, or they have their deep underground uh, uh, bunker, they, they really could give a rat's behind about what happens to the rest of us. Does that, that make sense, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for some people, that's probably true. And don't forget that it was in the 60s. Um, you know, you had this a whole decade of deliberation, negotiations regarding issues like military disarmament. <clears throat> but they were talking about the Outer Space Treaty. Remember that? Yes. The treaty on principles governing the activities of the states, the exploration of outer space. And, and, and if you go and read those papers, <clears throat> they're, they're actually kind of tantalizing in that they seem to allude to um, knowledge, expertise, technology that are beyond anything that we would understand today. Colonel McGinnis, you know, talking about future war uh, at the Pentagon, this stuff's way beyond that. Uh, way beyond weapons of mass destruction. But all of that language was included in the 1960s outer space treaties. Um, and so I just encourage people to go read that. Now, why am I mentioning that? Because um, I mentioned that I have a friend. When I was writing the Wormwood Prophecy, I reached out to him. Um, he is a senior flight analyst. Uh, with above top secret security clearance at NASA. And again, I can prove this. Um, and um, he gave me information that echoed kind of what you're talking about right now, that some of the people um, at NASA, Neowise, some of the people that are in this community of astronomers who know what's going to happen in 2029, and the plans that they're making around it, and what they're doing for their families, and all that. Um, and and originally, I had his name in the book, in the Wormwood Prophecy, and Charisma Publishing. I gave them this book, even though I own my own publishing house. I did an experiment with them, a one-time thing. And I gave them the book, uh, and the people from Charisma would verify that I had him in the book, I had information from him in the book, but then something happened. We were in our um, um, 2019 conference in Branson, um, and he showed up. Derek met him, Sharon met him, but he said, i got to talk to you. And we went into a back room. And in that back room, he starts telling me, hey, you have to take my name and the information that I gave you, you have to take it out of the book immediately. It can't be published. And it turned out that he had been drawn before an adjudicator, uh, the uppity-ups um, at NASA, um, and uh, he had been threatened. And at a minimum, with losing his you know, his contract with the government, his job, his retirement, all that. But I had a feeling it was something more than that. And he said, you have got to get my name out of there, man. I'm going to be in, I've got major issues, big trouble. So I got a hold of Charisma, and I said, we have to take XYZ's name out of the book and what he told me out of the book. Uh, and so we did that. Now, but it was part of the other stuff that he told me that day um, that had to do with probably something kind of like what you're talking about, Richard. Um, Breakaway civilizations? It wasn't just compartmentalization. It was also that the asteroid is being viewed as a messenger. 
Um, you know, in the ancient world, all these cultures, asteroids, these things inspired wonder, dread. They were saw as harbingers of doom, omens of disaster, uh, messengers of the gods themselves. Um, this goes to the Roman prophecies, the Sibylline oracles, the Epic of Gilgamesh, all of these that talked about these uh, asteroids as carrying pertinent information uh, to the Earth. And frankly, I was kind of blown away with what he was telling me. And I'm being really careful here because I have to be careful that he can't be connected through this conversation. I've known him for a long time, and by the way, um, I've published his name elsewhere. Let me just leave it at that. I won't say where. Um, Derek and Sharon Gilbert met him at our conference. Um, I've known him for years. He's a guy that's known by the known. So if you if you look at my publishing house, the people that I publish, including people that are deeply part of the U.S. Pentagon and places like that, um, he's a guy that is known by them. And, um, and he has high-level security clearance and has to have because when you're a senior flight analyst for NASA, <laughs> you know, you got to make sure that you're, you're working with projects that terrorists or other crazy people wouldn't be able to, you know, uh, create problems for those projects. But anyway, he came to me, came at the conference, um, and uh, and he said, you have to get my name out of the book. Now, we went in the back room, and um, he's telling me all about this adjudicator, and he's been drawn in in front of these people, and I've got to get his name out of the book. But then he gets into this. It's a very curious conversation. And it has to do with Apophis as a messenger. Now, here's why, here's why this really struck me. Because a few years ago, I had reached out to him, him and one of his friends. Um, and uh, it was during, if you remember, um, Richard, the European Space Agency's Rosetta mission. Yes. And they landed the probe Philae on what was believed to be um, a comet, yes. Comet 67P. And there was this strange sound that was coming off the comet. Remember that? Yes, yes. Um, and uh, and people were making attempts at these explanations for the phenomenon, vibrations being set off by a stream of charged particles ejected from the surface of the space rock, all that kind of stuff. But... I, I had wondered at the time, okay, I, I, I'm willing to accept that that's all there is to this, but because I have a friend, um, two actually, but mostly him, deeply entrenched at the highest levels of our space agencies, I reached out. Uh, and I said, this thing, they're calling it the song, the song. You can actually still go to Google now and and you know, type in the Rosetta song, and you can get the, the sound file for that. Um, and uh, and I wanted to know, is this just you know, what sound vibrations as this thing moves through space? It's all just natural. 
or is there any possibility there's something else more to this? And I recall at the time, I actually reached out to my old friend Chuck Misler. Uh, and oh, Dr. Yes. Misler now has been dead for a couple of years, but he was a really good friend of mine, very close. I mean, he came and spent time at my home, uh, and, you know, we hang out. Um, I, and I said, Chuck, do you know anybody in a research or intelligence agency that might have access to what, a supercomputer or some other system that could slow down these sound waves on the Rosetta Comet and check for me if there's any repeatable patterns. I just want to make sure. It's a long shot, um, but I'm just wondering if there might be some type of, you know, what, replicating synthetic, non-organic right. code, Intelligence. if you will, yeah. in the sound. Uh, and so Chuck, he knew a man uh, that had been invo- involved very early on in developing audio technology. He said he was a bona fide genius. And right now, frankly, as I'm on this show, I can't even remember his name. Um, but he sent me his contact info. I sent him the audio recording, and I would not tell him where it came from. But I just sent it to him from the Rosetta, and I asked him if he could check it to see, you know, are there any repeating patterns, whatever, in it, mathematical something, what? Um, and um, I didn't hear from him for the longest time. Then finally he contacted me and he said, um, has anybody else that's listened to this pattern become sick, physically sick, from listening to the audio recording? And I emailed him back and I said, no, because you're the only one I've sent it to. Uh, anyway, he died before he could even do the analysis oh, for me. So when I didn't hear anything more, I reached out to this friend at NASA um, and his second scientist friend, and I asked him if they could take a look at it, and they did. They took a stab at it using Fourier-based uh, deconvolution for resolving what they called oscillographic signals. we got about three minutes here, Tom. So I just Well, I'm okay, so we're going to run out of time, but they sent me a very long report, it was a strange finding, uh, in which they said that the signal indicated there was something more than noise in a pure random process. There was this magnetic field interaction. Um, and it was it was very, very intriguing to me. And so since we're going to run out of time, um, we'll have to talk about this on a different program, but they found that there were um, non-organic um, markers in that in that sound that to them could be only interpreted as a message that was being carried, and so the European Space Agency, NASA, they were all uh, interested in this. So jump forward to now, he meets with me uh, in Branson this year. You have got to take my name out of this thing right now. I've been drawn before an adjudicator. I'm being threatened. And I had a feeling it was more than just his job in retirement, and it had something to do with Apophis as a messenger uh-huh. that is headed towards Earth. It doesn't fit into my sort of basic understanding of how the un- end times are supposed to unfold. I mean, is there time between now and 29 for a tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, a false peace in the Middle East, uh, you know, the battle of Gog and Magog? I mean, how is this all going to un- un- unravel before this cataclysm? Yeah, so if you're a pre-tribulation rapture believer, uh, and I know that many of you are not, you probably are not, but if you're a pre-tribulation rapture believer, then you would back up three and a half years from Friday the 13th, 2029. 
uh, you wind up at October 13th, 2025. And guess what? That's the exact day of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, which was the time when the Jews celebrated being delivered from the gods of Egypt, including the uh, god of chaos, Apophis. Mm. Um, and uh, two weeks earlier than that is Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, when the shofar is blown 100 times, and most dispensationalists think that the rapture is going to occur during that day. Why? Because Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I tell you, mystery, we shall not all sleep, we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, he said the same thing to the Thessalonians. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, at the sound of the trumpet of God. So um, we don't have time to go into that tonight. We're out of time. But there are some very, very, very odd... Now, if you're not a pre-tribulation believer, it's also interesting because April 2029 is Passover. Ah, we... And Passover, too, was Egypt being delivered during the night when all of the firstborn are being destroyed, and God says, if you put the blood of the uh, lamb on the doorpost of your home, I'm I good. will pass over you. So there's both both three and a half years before, middle, and three and a half years later, all three of these fall on very, very important Jewish feast days that are connected by Christians to the Christology of the New Testament. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Fascinating. I hope you can come back and we'll, uh, we'll talk further. Thank you so much for this, Thomas. And it's uh, skywatchtv.com. You can order yeah, the book right there. skywatchtv.com. Uh, thanks, Richard, for having me on your program. Thank you. Okay, that concludes my two-part conversation with Thomas Horn of Skywatch TV. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to tell you a little bit about the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. There's never been a more important time to focus on our physical well-being, build up our natural immune system, and take control of our health. That's why the mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon of ESS-60 from C60 Evo every morning. ESS-60 is the consumable form of carbon-60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is the purest form of ESS-60 on the market. They produce the formula of ESS-60 that was used in a landmark animal longevity study in Paris, where rats that were fed ESS-60 lived twice their natural lifespans, twice. ESS-60 from C60 Evo is 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. It's truly a mega antioxidant. How does it make me feel? Well, I'm 56 years old and I'm pain-free, pain-free. My energy levels are through the roof and I sleep like a baby. The mighty Aphrodite is noticing the exact same benefits. ESS-60 delivers better health, mental clarity, and immune support. Experience the benefits for yourself. To order, go to the notes for this episode and click on the C60 Evo link. Save 5% on your order by entering the code RS1SPEC. RS1SPEC. And if you order based on a monthly refill, you'll save even more. Get your bottle of this miracle molecule ESS60 today from C60 Evo. And again, 
Go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the C60 Evo link. Then enter the code RS1SPEC to start saving. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time, Joshua Shapiro on the mysterious powers of crystal skulls. The nature of quartz crystal allows other intelligent beings who may not exist on the physical level, which can be galactic beings, can be spiritual beings, dimensional beings, nature beings. It's a portal, just like the name of this crystal skull I have. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.